For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? As you all know, those of you who are here for the first time, uh, my show is about celebrating life, celebrating the arts. I believe that every day is worth celebrating if we take the time to do so. And this evening uh, has a very special place in my heart uh, because Grey Gardens happens to be a favorite documentary of mine and, of course, the Broadway musical, and we're going to be celebrating that tonight and talking all about that. Uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, we had the Marble Fawn himself on the show, Jerry Torrey. He was already scheduled to be on the show, and then I get a, a phone call, uh, an email, actually, uh, from Glenn Rosenblum. And Glenn said that they were doing a production of Grey Gardens and asked if I could do an evening devoted to this. And I said, well, Glenn, I'm already going to be interviewing Jerry. And if we could do it two days later, because I had nothing on the calendar for tonight, and Glenn got the cast round up, and here we are. Glenn, congratulations. Thank you. One night only. I know. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? <laughs> I would say blame actors' equity, but not exactly. But maybe a little, you know. It's a, it's a lot um, of work for one night. It's a wonderful um, uh, theater company that we have. We've been in existence about, I think we're celebrating our 25th year, but because of COVID, we're in our 27th season. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we hold um, the script in our hands when we perform. Here's mine right here. Well, it's like our New York version of Encores. It is. And we've stayed, you know, Encores puts it down, I guess, uh, they must be on another contract, so they're able to put it down. But we really have to hold ours. It's like a must. Mm -hmm. It's part of... Um, part of the directing process that we must hold them. And it's um, it's very exciting because we have 29 hours to uh, rehearse it and put it on at the glorious historical Alex Theater in Glendale. Now, I have to ask, I understand that this is your last performance or pr production at the Alex Theater. Yes, we are looking for a new venue. Now, yes. why are you leaving the Alex Theater, if I may ask? The Alex Theater is under new uh, management, and they're going in another direction. And, you know, oh, Richard, you would love the Alex Theater. Do you know the history of it? In the in the 40s, it was considered an out-of-town tryout for movies. Wow. And they tried the movie Mildred Pierce there. How do you like that? Can you um, imagine being in the audience because yeah. and they also questioned the audiences on the on those in those days. Right. Their feelings in the direction the films were going in. And films were actually altered based yeah. on the yeah. audience response. Yeah. So it's a glorious old um theater. It's like a real Hollywood movie palace in Glendale. And uh it's been turned into a um a beautiful theatrical venue and a musical theater guild has done all sorts of gems over the years. And we were so excited to get the rights for gray gardens. You know, gray gardens has only been done once in the LA area at the Amundsen a few years ago was the production that came from the Bay street theater in York. I saw Betty Buckley, yeah. Rachel York. Yes, and Rachel York. 
if either yeah. one are watching tonight. Just yeah. So uh, it's another going. chance to visit this wonder. I have, I'm from Long Island, so I, I remember the story, even though I was in junior high school, but those were the kinds of stories I was into. So <laughs> we got Newsday, Jerry Torrey, if you're watching. I remembered the story in Newsday, and I can remember my parents talking about how could that be Jackie Onassis's relatives? Mm -hmm. I just remember that from junior high school, that that was a topic of conversation in our house. Like, how did that happen? And how are they only two hours away from where we live? Uh, yeah, we lived in Massapequa. So the Hamptons were another two hours. Um, so it's been a fascinating story. And I'm thrilled to partake in it for one evening. You know, um, I'm playing the part of Gould, the the pianist. Mm. Um and I'm excited about that. And I do play the piano, so it's very exciting. And um, we have a wonderful cast, uh, just a wonderful cast with so some Broadway about veterans. About the uh, older Mrs. Beale. Um, and I only say older because you got a very young actress to play the part. Oh, well, she's yes. she's going to love you. She, <laughs> well, she's been on the show before. I um, know. Oh, she's going to send you to Tahiti for a week after that. I am. I I love her so much. I Who doesn't? Get in line. Get in I, line. I have to show. ask: Is she a masochist? Because not only is she doing this show, but on Valentine's uh, Day. Oh she, no! Actually, uh, it's this Saturday. No, this, this Saturday, Saturday night. This Saturday night on my birthday. I might add. She is doing a Valentine's Day celebration at the El Portal Theater in LA. In, in North Hollywood. Yeah, well, she is a masochist. And uh, there's a second masochist because our director of Grey Gardens, Kirsten Chandler, is directing Eileen Barnett. In well, that let's bring them both on then. Hi. Oh, Hi. Hello. <laughs> Eileen. Hello. Congratulations. And con uh, congratulations, Kirsten. And I'm sure you got your hands full. And I got you all. To, how did I get you tonight in the midst of all this? Uh, well, <laughs> show's not till Saturday, so <laughs> we don't Richard, rehearse. I love you. I love you for saying I'm too young to play the role. You know, yes. it just took me an hour to, to to look like I was too young to play the role. <laughs> but I have let the gray come in, and uh, gray is in. Gray is in, in. and I won't be wearing this makeup or wearing pretty clothes. You know, I'll I'll look the part. I promise. <laughs> um, I want to start with you, first of all, Eileen. What is your earliest or your first recollection of Grey Gardens? And oh, okay. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the documentary. I, I, Whenever it was that it came out, I guess. And um, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's so hard to believe of uh, these two women are actual people and uh, that they weren't, I don't know, a, a play acting something. But it was it, it's just so incredible that they lived like this. It, this I still don't understand how they lost everything. And ended up living in in you know rat infested. I mean, it's just it's just the worst. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I first heard of it, and then when I heard they were doing a musical of it many years later, I thought, well, that's going to be interesting. And and will it work? But it does. It's it a does. wonderful show. 
It's wonderful. And and they took so much of the lyrics and the, the scene work right from the documentary. I mean, it's just yeah. right from it, word for word sometimes. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty Jerry, brilliant. Jerry, the marble fawn himself. Um, yeah, there's an incredible book, uh, The Marble Fawn of Grey Gardens, uh, which I hope that everyone will read uh, in addition to this. Um, and we were talking the other day, and he's on tonight, by the way, everyone. He's going to be coming on in a few minutes. The real uh, Jerry. Jerry, you know, I said it's very interesting. When you see these iconic characters, uh, women, on stage, on film, and also in the HBO uh, movie with uh, Drew Barrymore and uh, Jessica Lange, we almost, I think there's something that separates us from the reality that these were two human beings. Mm. And, you know, which Jerry and I talked about a little about uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, Kirsten, when you've got to put together something, you must feel as if you have a speeding locomotive right <laughs> at you. Um, what is your process uh, for this evening? And uh, how did you get involved, by the way? Well, um, so many questions. Um, so, you know, approaching MTG shows, this is actually the fifth one I've done. And I adore directing for MTG. Um, it's a very unique process and it's not the same as putting up a full scale musical. Um, what's interesting is that in some ways the prep is more intense. Um, mm -hmm. It's a different kind of preparation, but you know, my job is first and foremost to, to let the show be heard and, and seen and understood. You know, like um, it's not like I can envision a set or can envision, you know, like my, you know, people say, what's your vision? Well, it's different for MTG because I just want it to be represented as it was written um, so that audiences can see and hear it because it's fascinating. It's amazing. Um, but uh, I love, this is my kind of musical. I remember that when I first saw, I think the first, my first exposure to anything having to do with um, the Edies was I saw Christina Ebersole's performance on the Tonys. And yes. And I, I just was like, what is this? And then I did a deep dive and watched the documentary. And this, that was, I'm talking years ago when, I guess, when it was up for a Tony, which was, Glenn, when was that? What year? You know everything. 2000. Uh, 2009, uh, 11, maybe? Something like that. I don't know. But um, yeah, somewhere around there. So it was quite a while ago. To me, it feels like last year, but I know it wasn't. It, it does. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, this is my kind of musical, you know, like I, the big opulent, um, like, you know, things that I, I love all musicals. Well, not all. <laughs> but, um, Are you uh, ready, everyone? It was 2006. Time. Oh, six. Wow. Oh, I had a count on my fingers. 17 years? Yes. What? Wow. Yeah. No, it, it's like, That's it feels fun. like it was yesterday, but we did yeah. lose. Two and a half years to, to yes. the pandemic. That's true. Um, Which yeah. throws um, off. Anyway, um, I was just going to say that I love musicals that study, like, I don't know, human psychology. And, and um, you know, like, I remember seeing clips from Next to Normal on the Tonys and going, ah, it's my kind of show. You know, it's that kind of stuff that I'm sort of just drawn to as a human being. And so... And I also think it's really interesting to musicalize something like that. So um, that's what fascinates me about Great Gardens. And I think what's interesting about it is that 
it it fleshes out you know how Eileen you said something about I can't believe these people existed but the musical somehow lets you climb into their their world and even in an imagined headspace in the first act but really sort of provides some sort of psychological background for how, how this might have happened which is I don't know I just feel so deeply for them by the end of the show um which is really interesting well, why don't we bring on the man who knew them personally, and that's oh, Jerry. Yes. Oh, Jerry. Jerry. You know, the Marvel Fawn is here again. Thanks. Oh, Hi. One week, Jerry. I'm, I'm Hi. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Hi, Hi Jerry. What was it like, Hi. Jerry? I want to know everything. <laughs> oh, boy. What oh, were I they like? What were they? Did they hate each other? Did they love each other? How did how? What was it like to be around them? Mrs. Bill and her devoted daughter Edie were their closest targets. They had no one to interfere with their emotions, as raw and as vital as they were to each other. They would, frankly, bicker over ridiculous things. Oh, that was me. Hi, baby. Think of young was. Oh no! Oh my God. Well, now, they were, everyone, I just want to remind everyone: Jerry was sixteen. Yes, I was sixteen years old. It's over fifty-two. How many years ago? I'm fifty. Sixty-eight. Thank God for film. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know who I was talking about. But I remember the film and the lovely Mrs. Bill and Edie. What were they like? They were never boring, I can tell you that. They they entertained each other with the history of their lives. Mrs. Beale's fascination with the arts and history. Kristen and Eileen and Glenn, and I'll be formal here because my respect for Mrs. Beale and Edie are paramount. Wow. They endured, well, I'm going to go back to the history that I learned through Mrs. Beale and her daughter, Edie. I never knew... Well, it was a runaway from Brooklyn, okay? What did I know? And I landed on the front door of this very private residence in the middle of East Hampton Town, which is exclusive. And I knock on the door. Fate had walked me to the front door. Big deal. But I met Mrs. Bill and Edie, and my life, sort of everything I knew up to then, didn't make any difference anymore. My fascination was beyond that because... I worried was a concern for their safety in the house. It just you see the mansion after it's cleaned up. I was there before it was vintage. It was guy called Vintage Great Gardens. There's so much to share with you. There's also a lot of energy. So if I'm scattered and rushing about, it's because I want so much to explain what I know. And I thought you would help portray their personalities. I want to reiterate what Jerry is saying here. Um, when we see the film of Grey Gardens, what he is referring to is the house that we see, as strange as it is for us to experience that, this was after they had cleaned it up a little bit. Right. That's why they refer to this as vintage. It's in the book, but how they refer to this as vintage Grey Gardens. Wow. Um, it was even more um, exotic, let's use that word, uh, before uh, the film crew began their work on it. Wow, that's amazing. Jerry, you said you loved Mrs. Beale. Oh, yes. What, what, what made you love her? Because when I 
see the documentary, I just see her being so uh, critical of her daughter and, and you know, uh, tell me about that. She, um, once Edie and I met at the front porch that morning, the following morning I arrived and was invited back and no less upstairs to meet Mrs. Beale's mother. I remember walking up the stairs and cats are scurrying every which way and cobwebs were landing on my face and my hair and I hear the bellowing of cats and I could definitely, no kidding, smell the mansion. It was pungent and my eyes were tearing. And I, of course, worried. I didn't worry. I thought, how on earth did anybody breathe this air? But it was very fascinating. Besides fascinating, when I walked into the sunroom, the room Mrs. Bill and Edie had the big argument about with the quiche Lorraine, that breakfast, I refer to that. We knew it as the sunroom. It was in that room Mrs. Bill was reclining on a tattered chaise lounge and with her hat on and cat over there, raccoon tail from the ceiling, hanging from the ceiling. And it was a complete oddity and it was a mess. But I, she turned to me and said, young man, you need to eat a boiled potato and a green salad and broiled chicken to remain as beautiful as you are today, to maintain that beautiful face. And I, I was astonished by her fair and honest and kindness. And I looked around and I didn't want to be disrespectful and not speak directly to Mrs. Beale, but I did was distracted by all the madness going on around me. And I just said this. I said, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, but I'm a gardener down the road at Mr. Getty's. If you need any help with the property, I'm here. I don't want to be paid. I would like to help you. And I meant that sincerely. I didn't care to get a salary. I was just one to tell you the truth. I was so fond. I was so fascinated. They trusted me to you no know, less go in the mansion after how many 35 years of no one visiting or wanting to be visited by. And I was then invited and trusted. And Mrs. Beale and I got along famously because she was very kind to me. And I felt very much at home and safe. And I hope she did too with me. So my my relationship was based on protecting and, and being loved. I loved being loved. And that really warmed me because I had a very rough childhood, not yeah. by my mom, but my father was rough. You know, old mm. Italian way of living. Mm. But I ran from that. But Mrs. Bill comforted me, no less in the isolation of that mansion. And deplorable, yes. The conditions were unreal. Vintage Grey Gardens, as Richard just mentioned, is nothing compared to the film you see now, you know, presently. The, there was wallpaper on the walls going up to the second floor. It was striped wallpaper. I and mean, after years of rainwater racing down the wall, collecting behind the wallpaper, it, it, it accumulated water and it kept the water in a bubble along the, the wallpaper. Yeah. Wow. And frankly, it was green, the water. And I could have sworn I saw things swimming in that water. And of course, I tore the, car, the, the, the wallpaper and so it would drain away. But that alone was untouched. And all of this meant so much to me as far as mystery. I would say, how on earth do you not 
clean this hallway or sweep this or do that. But I didn't do that. I didn't question their lifestyle. I was a guest, my friends. I wasn't going to say, how could you this and how could you that? It was fire. It scared the life out of me. Yeah. Jimmy, I want to jump ahead in our story. I'm sorry. No, that's quite all right. Uh, there's just so much to cover tonight. Um, yep. uh, but I want to ask you, when did you first hear that this was going to be turned into a musical? Oh, boy. What your thoughts <laughs> about that? Oh. I mean, because, I mean, you, this was real life for you. Uh, it's oh. more than a movie. What were your thoughts when you originally heard that this was going to be turned into a musical? Before the musical was even read, and it was at the Guggenheim Museum, and before all of the activity began, I was driving a New York City taxi cab. And one evening, it's in the book, you might read it, a customer hails me. I pick her up on the corner of West 43 and 9th Avenue, and she has a tripod and a camera, and I'm the chatterbox of the world, and I'm glad to have an English-speaking customer who I engage with right away. Because I know if I check in with my customers, I can find out if they're going to hurt me or they're crazy or not. Oh, what's the story? I had to know who was in the back seat, And I did begin a conversation by saying to my customer, are you in the film industry? She said, yes. One word led to another. And I said, have you ever heard of Grey Gardens? Yes. Well, I'm the young guy. From, well, I was from the movie, the younger guy. And she looked at my license and said, you, you are. You are, Jerry. I said, Yes, I've been Jerry since I got in this camp this afternoon. You know, I always was silly, always will be. But she said to me, in a moment after, she sort of went silent and then wrote down a piece of paper, Albert's phone number and address. And he said, she said, you need to call Albert as soon as you can. He and I have been working on charcoal briquette commercials. And he and I worked together. And I said, How's David? And sadly, I learned that David had passed away in the 60s, early 70s. But I did call Albert the following morning. And his secretary, Michelle, answers, Jerry, you need to come here. I was waiting to speak with you. I spoke with him. He invited me by. I went up to the West 54th Street with my taxi cab. And when I turned the corner, there were film trucks. And Albert was amongst all the confusion in West 54th in front of the old West 54th Street studio. You know, Studio 54. It was always a madhouse. And there's trucks and I can't park and I'm frustrated. Is this going to be real? Am I going to meet him after all of the... He was there. His little round eyes and his silver hair. But I recognized him from his eyes. And he recognized me through the windshield. And we embraced him. We were choked up for a while. But he gets, it. he gets into my cab as a passenger. We went off duty. We drove around Midtown a good two hours. Yapping, yapping. He was telling me, Jerry, they're taking Mrs. Beale's film and Edie's film and making it into a play. And I sort of chuckled. I said, someone's going to play Mrs. Beale and Edie? And how on earth? I mean, I don't know from theater. I know where they're located. But who on earth is going to, okay, I believe you. And one thing led to the other. I had been reunited with Al. I went back to the mansion after 40 years or so. 
and saw the mansion. It was quite a nice journey. And I was a guest once again by the renter. But Albert told me, and he was right, the play was not a play. It was going to be a musical. And I went and I was taken <laughs> back. It was a playwright's horizons. Christine Ebersole was playing Edie and Mrs. Beale too. And all these famous, wonderful, artistic people. And I walked into the first show. I didn't know I was late. I didn't know anything. And the audience stood up and applauded. And I said, oh, <laughs> friend Wayne was with me, God bless him. And I said, someone's very important because they stopped the show and they're applauding. And they happened to be looking up at us over here. And they were applauding he and I. And I was taken away. This is just too intense. Did you bring the Almond Joy bar that I bought? Because I need to do something. <laughs> I had to eat something. It was real. It was all very real. And Jerry, I had my Almond Joy bar. Jerry, did you, did you actually, did she make you corn? <laughs> yes. And here's oh, how that. Did. And the man you know I mean? who made that song come alive is here. Oh. Michael Oh, oh Michael Corey. Oh, good. <laughs> There's the man. So nice to see you, my good hey, everybody. Say that Jerry, Jerry, how great to see you. Oh, nice to see you. You look well. And Jerry, I have some news for you. Oh. Uh, Jerry Loves My Corn uh, is being taught at the Columbia School of Humanities uh, as an introduction to leader song. Uh, oh, wow. And I was so surprised, but I said, okay, whatever. But we've made it into academia, Jerry. Wow. is Michael, congratulations. And I will always admire you and the cast and the crew and Scott and every Michael, Corey, Doug yeah. Wright. You transformed the story in our lives, I'm left to tell you, into a beautiful work of art. The very venue, Mrs. Bill and Edie saw it all their years of isolation, corridors frozen in the winter, singing to themselves in the bedroom. You transformed their dream into a reality. And I will never, ever be able to thank you and the crew for your expertise in doing that. Oh, Jerry, you were so wonderful. You, we, you um, met the whole cast. You advised um, the person who was playing your character. You became part of that Grey Gardens musical family. And it was weird I, uh, to have living people in a, a, a show. I think it might have been the first documentary musical um, oh. that anyone, and we got a lot of, what are you, what are you talking about? How can you do that? <laughs> um, oh. But uh, oh, I think that, you know, you know, Mrs. Beale's love for Jerry, the love for the daughter that some, uh, I think Doug came up with an expression about how parents both uh, inflict and heal the wounds of growing <laughs> up. Um, and right. they, had, they had, underneath it all, there was such love and such simpatico and such strength. Uh, and, uh, but I do, you know, Albert told us too, when we started this, you'll be tempted to take sides and say one or the other one is more right than the other. Mm -hmm. Says, don't take sides, they're both right. Yes. So we kind of used that as our credo for the whole thing. 
Because it's true uh, what you're saying, uh, Eileen, that Mrs. Beale came off as pretty tough on her daughter. But then when we went back to the history, we found that her father had been tough on her. Oh, Trish. Her husband and her sons. Right. Uh, and she that she was really um, not allowed to pursue her dreams uh, and not allowed to pursue her love of music. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the sternness that she uh, expressed towards little Edie was that she wouldn't be hurt the way the mother had well, by her parents. And so I think that's, we didn't know what we were doing. We went into this thing. Um, but we had Edie's blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, little Edie at that point was living in Florida, if you recall, Jerry. And Albert wrote her and uh, said, these fellows want to make a musical of Grey Gardens. And she wrote back a letter um, that said, I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled about GG the musical. There must be music. There must be dancing. Mm. It must be historical. My beloved mother, please send the big safety pins. I can't get them in Florida. That note is now at the Lincoln Center Library for the Arts. So um, good. Oh, wow. She oh, did have to give her permission. Uh, and she loved the idea. She loved the idea because she. What she said about the documentary was that as wonderful it was, she wanted to have more singing. <laughs> um, she so we hope you made up for that. She's beautiful. I love knowing that. She said that. Thank you, Michael. Well, we, so we were supposed to go down to meet her, actually. Uh, but we passed away. She passed away just before. And uh. Doug came to the decision that we would honor them by not um quoting them exactly as in the documentary uh but by writing in the style that they spoke and doug said and the famous quotes that people know you put into the lyrics nice. uh that will kind of stylize and then it won't just seem like we're pirating the documentary mm -hmm. um so doug was very clever about how he wrote things that really sounded like them but weren't quite what they said um, and then I was slavish about quoting them. <laughs> and I'd like to introduce Trisha, who is playing young Edie. And oh, hello. You were stuck in traffic, so I'm glad. Yes, I'm so sorry, but this is fascinating. I've, I've, oh. I've been here for the last, probably about the last 15 minutes, so I've, I've caught a lot of it, and it's so nice to meet you on the screen, Michael oh, and Jerry. And Eileen, I haven't met, and Glenn, and Hi. Richard. I haven't Hi. met anyone except for Kirsten. <laughs> so so uh, this is wonderful. I'm so excited. Oh, congratulations to you for uh, yeah. portraying these, uh, these incredible women. And of course, they're not easy roles. You know, when we wrote them for these actresses, and Christine kept saying, give me more. Um, and so it became, it's now a very challenging score, a lot of singing. Really challenging for, yes. for Trish, yeah. I mean, it's really uh, a bear of a role, my God. Right, and uh, all of them, young young Little Edie, Little Edie, um, Big Edie, they all have their moments. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And then um, the ensemble is very important too. Yes. Hi, Joe. There's a little Lily. There's a little Lily. There's a little Lily. Trisha, I want to ask you, um, how did this come apart about for you? Uh, were you called in? Did you hear about an audition? How did it happen for you? Uh, well, I just recently joined the Musical Theater Guild, so very excited to do that. I worked with Kirsten on a production of The Adams Family at Five Star Theatricals in Thousand Oaks. Um, and she was fabulous. Unbelievable. Oh, <laughs> well, it was... It, it was a dream show, dream cast. We had such a good time. Kirsten was amazing director that I mean, we, you know, was all as everything is these days, everything's fast and furious. And, you know, still with, you know, COVID still being very, very much a thing. There were a lot of hurdles and things to overcome, but we did, it was an incredible production. And Tal and I go way back to New York, New York days when I we did this crazy reading together. So I've known Tal for a long time. And um, <laughs> and she talked to me. I, I a lot of people had talked to me about the musical theater guild and I, I kept wanting to join. And finally, this was the opportunity. So I joined. They said they were doing Grey Gardens and asked if I was going to audition. And I said, yes, but I can't come in person because I had another project that I'm crazy project that I'm doing. Um, but I put myself on tape and I just love this show so much. And the, the music is so complex and interesting and the story, I mean, there's so much there that for somebody like me, this is like a dream to get to sink my teeth into. And Christine Ebersol is an icon for me. I love her. And, um, just to be able to have the opportunity to do this oh. and so quickly um, is just to get of any actor or actress is to be in a show that hopefully will have a long run. You went into this knowing it was for one night only. Yeah. So <laughs> how, I mean, you, you, oh, hit your, you hit your stride and then it's, it's, I it's know. Done. you don't even hit your stride when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's, I think it's, and I, but again, it's just any opportunity for me that I get to perform and do something with, I think I can speak for all of us who performed, <laughs> that it, it's just such a gift. So, and these kinds of roles don't come around often. And um, so to be able to do it, it's just everything. Um, even if it's only for one night, <laughs> but maybe, but you know, our the hope is always that, people will go, oh yeah, let's do Grey Gardens again. Yes. What, I mean, yeah. you know, that it'll spark that interest again because it's such an incredible story. Oh. So that's that's the hope. That yeah, you I will throw in too, I, I just wanted to throw in that these auditions were so unbelievable that, and that's weeks and weeks before the actual concert goes up. Um, it was like a masterclass in acting and breaking down and, and I, I don't I, I I don't even know how to there's not enough superlatives to tell you what just the audition tapes or live auditions were like. It was just a sumptuous feast. All of you. And Paul, how did it come about for you? Oh, well, I've been a member of Musical Theater Guild for a few years and it you know, I'm actually part of the executive committee committee of Musical Theater Guild right now with Eileen and so we knew this sh this show was an option for us. We were so excited to be able to get the rights to do it for one night. And thank so Thank you, Michael Corey. Yes, thank you, Michael. <laughs> so 
basically, you know, I, I did know a little bit in advance that this was happening, but um, everyone in our company, as well as people outside of our company in Los Angeles audition. And as soon as we got Kirsten, honestly, attached to direct, it was like dreamy. And um, I was just excited about the possibility of honestly, a show with such strong female characters mm -hmm. and this deep family bond and made huge devotion between women and frustrations and the, the depth that was so tangible in this piece. I actually, um, I did see it at the Amundsen with Rachel York and Betty Buckley, but um, that was really the first time I heard the music live. I've listened to the soundtrack before and all that, but it just really, it was calling to me in some sort of way to be a part of it. And I'm really thrilled beautiful. with this group of people. And one night it totally is a whirlwind, but um, it, it is going to be really exciting for sure. Congratulations. Thanks. So we've got all the women here, but there's also a man who has been waiting very patiently in the wings. And I want to <laughs> uh, So Robert. Oh, Robert. <laughs> That's right. I, I took an hour to look this old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the aging process. So yes, what, I know. Um, you know, what is the experience like for you as an actor uh, to be part of this company, first of all, who does such phenomenal work? Um, and, you know, there's like this, you know, these two things that are going on here, uh, the preparation process for you and then the fact that it's the one night. Um, it, you know, it's it's not my first rate rodeo with MTG, but um, and everybody in the cast here, I know, even Trisha, we sang together many moons ago on a ship. Yes, we did. It was yes, so much did. fun. We sailed the high seas together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get to see you in in Adam's family, but oh, oh boy, it was amazing. I know, but um, I've known Kirsten a very long time, and when I saw she was directing, I thought I have to go in for this. And then when I saw McMartin right. have played the original role, mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, I had worked with him briefly uh, on a production of Little Night Music in Los Angeles in 91, in which play, he played Frederick uh, opposite Lois Middleton, and Glynis Johns played Madame Armfeld. For me, this is a whole bunch of circles coming around. Um, Rachel York I did Adam's Family with. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Christine Ebersol, I did a demo recording for Peter Rogers and Melnick, a duet with her as a couple of fighting Spanish lovers. <laughs> She's crazy talented. Oh, my God. And I want to give a shout out to her, her latest CD, After the Ball. If you don't have it, get it. It's phenomenal. There, there's oh. nobody like her. And, and, um, and then the other huge circle for me, and I almost forget about this sometimes, but when Great Car Gardens came up, I remember I actually met Jackie O. I was, a, I was fresh out of school. I was waiting tables in New York at Charlie's Restaurant right next to Barrymore's across from the Royale. Oh. One of our managers booked side parties. And he said, do you want to work a party? And I said, sure. He told me where to be and how much I was being paid, what I had to wear. I showed up at five o'clock on a club on the east side. And it turns out it was a joint birthday party for John and Caroline Kennedy. Oh, wow. Wow. We were setting up. We had very simple things to do. Um, but it was like, and then about a half an hour before everyone arrived, we were lined up. There were about eight of us, and um, Jackie came in, 
and so warmly and graciously took each of our hands one at a time and thanked us for being there. Just as classy, and I, you just melt because I was, you know, I grew up as a Catholic kid and he, AFK was our Catholic president. And, you know, and then years later, I met Christina Haig, who wrote that wonderful book about her, her uh, love affair with uh, John Jr. called Come to the Edge. Gorgeous. So anyway, it's a lot of circles coming together and a lot of wonderful friends who I get to play on stage with. And I get to play the bad guy. <laughs> well, this is this is incredible. And I mean, it, and it's you know, it's also incredible that this is coming up after uh, COVID. We've all you know coming back yeah. in, and uh, and Eileen, as I mentioned, and we'll mention this again, has a concert uh, this Saturday night at the El Portal Theater. Um, Eileen, um, what is your process uh, in terms of approaching uh, the older Mrs. Beale? Uh, someone who is uh, so recognizable uh, on film. What is your approach in terms of making it your own? Well, um, I, with almost any role that I do, um, you know, if it's if it's already been done, I try not to listen too much to the album. Um, you know, sometimes it helps me learn it a little bit, but I try not to listen to the interpretation that the that the uh, that the actresses are giving it so that I can I can make it my own. Um, and in this particular one, it's so incredibly interesting that mostly I watch the documentary, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, just to kind of get a feel for for the way this woman moved, the way she dressed, the way uh, the way she speaks. Um, so this is really kind of different because it's a real person mm -hmm. that that I'm interpreting. Um, uh, and I, you know, I've been listening to the album and I'm going to try not to sound too much <laughs> like the, like, um, uh, oh God, her name's just gone out of my head. I'm sorry. Mary Louise Wilson. Thank you. Mary Louise Wilson. Um, um and I did see Betty Betty Buckley do it. Oh my God! When she sang the song about the corn, uh, I, I, she just blew me away. She just, mm -hmm. Betty was just incredible in that. But, but that's how I approach it. And what's interesting about doing these MTG shows, you know, we do have a short period of time to rehearse, and uh, so you have to do a lot of woodshedding on your own. Mm -hmm. And especially in a show like this. Um, and, and we did Passion, and, and I played Fosca when we did Passion. And that was something I had to really, really think about and work out in my head. And this is the same kind of thing. I know that we don't usually do this, but I think Trish and I will get together and with Kirsten and really talk through what this relationship is like. Because you can't just throw this thing up you know, on the stage and, and hope that it's going to work. There's got to be that depth behind it. So I'm going to continue to look at the documentary, um, learn my music and, and talk to my, my peeps, my girlfriends here and, uh, and, and, and try to figure out what we're doing and, you know, how we're feeling about these things. It's just going to be, oh my gosh, to have an opportunity to do this. You know, usually when you do stuff, it's just, it's, you don't get to go this deep. 
So yay, you know, it's really why you want to be an actor. I, I have a question that I want to uh, pose to both Michael and to Jerry. I'll start with you, Michael. Um, seeing other productions of this, I mean, you've given birth to this and, and, and it's such a glorious musical. Uh, seeing other productions of it, um, what is the experience like for you? Are you able to just sit back and enjoy from your perspective uh, and just let go uh, of everything that has transpired to get you to this point? Uh, what is the experience like for you sitting in an audience, seeing this production on stage? Um, well, uh, I've also seen it uh, in Japan, the Japanese production in oh, Japanese. Wow. I've seen it in Brazil. It's been done all over the world, actually, in a lot of different languages. Um, the thing is that when uh, the producers were talking about doing a an official tour, uh, and the author said, "You know what? Uh, let it not be. Let it just go out there and be licensed to people who want to do it, because basically." There's a big ED and a little ED in every town. Um, and they all will do it their way. And it will all have meaning that's particular to them because it is about the parent-child relationship. And that's universal. Um, so I always find it different. Uh, and, uh, you know, by the time uh, another winter and a summer town rolls along, I'm caught up in it. Um, and uh, I look forward, I, I, it's even being done I hear in high schools where they add uh, an entire chorus of reporters so that everybody can have <laughs> We very carefully left the reporters out, but um, they're back. <laughs> well, Jerry, you experienced those reporters firsthand, uh, you know, when they descended upon Grey Gardens. Oh. But I want to ask you, seeing yourself portrayed, um, you, how many productions have you actually seen? And what is it that you feel that everybody captures in terms of playing you? And if there's one thing that they somehow miss, now's your time to get uh -huh. it off your chest. <laughs> oh, oh, gee. Oh, first, oh, Chief Michael and everyone, I applaud you and thank God for your talent in portraying Mrs. Beale and Edie. Never mind me, it's really about them. Um, I'm honored. I've seen the musical over 30 times. Michael and everyone invited me to play to Walter Kerr Theater so many times, and I did go with guests and Playwrights Horizons. Huh? I traveled the country, has been to several cities. It was amazingly effective on people's souls. What I took away from their just seeing the show was their, the general kindness that I felt from Mrs. Bill and Edie um, and their, con their commitment to each other, which I, I knew about. And I'm not bragging, but there was one night, it was winter. The night, the icicles were clinging to the broken panes of glass. Earlier that day, Mrs. Bill asked me to go collect some LP records from the library, bring them up, we'd play them later. 
I did. I put them on the Panasonic record player. I was freezing. I plugged in the heater, put my hands under my lap, and the song tune began to sound. And Mrs. Edie, Mrs. Bill, and her devoted daughter, Edie, sang together, tandem, I guess it's called. And it then made so much sense to me. These two women were so devoted to the arts, secondly, to themselves, and they're working on the arts. They love theater, so to be ostracized, whatever they call it, from the family. Um, it, it just made so much sense when I saw the harmony that you're enjoying and the winter slamming into the southern part of the mansion, snow blowing down the corridor. And I said, this is what it's all about, their devotion to their own convictions as women in a time when men ruled the world. And I think they try still to do that. And I think it's most unfortunate that Mr. Beale, Mr. Bouvier, rather, and his family uh, ostracized Mrs. Beale and Edie. And I know this, Mrs. Beale showed up to her son's wedding dressed in a false, I mean, pronounced his name wrong, a, a big shot in the opera houses. And he, he performed, she performed one of the characters from his opera and showed up at her son's wedding late, two hours. And this is where the Cadillac, you may not remember because it wasn't seen in the videos, the film. In the driveway was a Cadillac, 1941. The air was still in the tires. The key was still in the ignition. And the door, driver's side, was ajar because the driver left the door opened. Vines had covered it. You couldn't close or start the car if you wanted to. That incident occurred when Schaefer, the chauffeur at the time, drove Mrs. Bill back to the mansion after a big disagreement in the church over her outfit. And Mr. Bill, I wasn't there, but I heard it. Mr. Bill said, okay, Edith, I had enough of your shenanigans or something in that term. I'm not sure what the words were. And Mrs. Bill didn't pay mind. And she said, well, something or other. And she left with the chauffeur to the mansion the car was still in the driveway in 1969 when I arrived. It was still there, 1970. And that was the story of the car. Mrs. Bill was so devoted to herself and her daughter that no matter what the family deprived them of, and everything was deprived, the reason they had no garbage removed was because they couldn't afford the private sanitation in East Hampton town. So what did they do? They accumulated in the library, the maid's dining room, the old dining room. And even Edie tried to burn some of it, which was not a good idea, because the chimney suits were clogged and it was not safe. She and I did try a fire once. It backfired into the house. It was terrifying. That was before she tried it earlier. We didn't try that again. Oh, they got to finish up. You know, Mr. Mr. Beale and the brothers. Eileen and Kristen, Robert and Tal, uh, Patricia and Michael, Richard. It's an honor to be alive, and it's a nice honor to know that you're going to show Mrs. Beale's song and dance to the world again. Are you leaving us, Jerry? I'm sorry. Are you leaving us now? No, I'm saying. 
Oh, good. Say goodbye. I'm glad you're. Oh, you're oh no, I, I wouldn't leave. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> I want to ask you um, in terms of the process of choosing uh, the shows that you choose, um, is there a certain criteria that you're looking for? Uh, that's do you have a mission that you're trying to get across? What is your criteria in terms of how you make your uh, selections with your shows? Well, we do, um, and Eileen oh. can um, talk about this as well. We do try to pick shows that are rarely done or rarely seen or need to be, or we feel that they need to be seen again. And um, Grey Garden sort of fits into all of that. For our particular um, metropolis in L.A., you know, we, we only have that one production uh, for a limited time. So we felt there there was a, um, a need for that. But that, that's the kind of, those are the kinds of shows that we pick. I mean, we've also picked... Um, crazy shows like well i was thrilled like minnie's boys oh. and um <laughs> oh for god's sake what else did we do um that was just well zorba we did minnie's boys and um honeymoon in vegas honeymoon in vegas honeymoon in vegas never came here so we you know that that was the yeah. only opportunity to see and, that and, and michael cory war paint is on our list we're yes, just yes. right uh -huh. now Speaking of Chrissy never saw the night I saw the show, she was out of the show. Oh no. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. So, so if they're if they're interesting. And sometimes if we do an old show, like some old Cole Porter show, usually the scripts are just awful. And and you know, we just sort of like to show them warts and all. Um yeah. you know, we can't do a lot of dancing. We don't do a lot of choreography, sometimes just a little bit of staging. It's supposed to be a stage. So we reading. really um it's what Kirsten said before. Our company really celebrates the lyrics, the music, and the book. Mm -hmm. That is what it's it's like a living library for the evening. Oh. You know, we're we're not gonna have the everything will be suggested, you know, yeah. as far as the sets go. And they, even the costumes may just be uh suggestion although here you know trish will put a schmata on her head that'll be fabulous she has to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's very it's really a celebration of our american art form musical theater and um, it, it's a thrill to present some of these shows to to see on their feet and um but to me, I mean, it, that's really the epitome of great theater uh, to leave all of the other elements to the imagination of the audience. And uh, trust me, the audience is going to see everything that we've seen in other productions as well, especially if they know this story, yeah. they're going to see the match and they're going to see all those things. Oh, Kirsten will make sure they do. Yes. Um, Kirsten, how involved are you in the casting process and what is the work like for you before you even walk into that first, uh, how many, how many hours of rehearsal do you get? 29. Wow. That. Uh, is yeah. that true? Well, you officially, know, officially. Yeah. Wow. Officially. But we, you know, we I think that it. it's really important to, um, cast the right people so that they can actually do what it is that is in front of them, which is kind of for the faint of heart, right? Kira? It is not for sissies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, 
so uh so there's that but yeah i'm i actually am very involved in casting just the same way that i would be for any show um but the unique thing about this company is that the talent by and large exists within the company so um instead of calling from every you know uh community of los angeles i'm calling mostly from musical theater guild and its members which is such a treat because they're so good I have a question that I'm going to ask Trisha and Tal and Robert, all the same question. So you can all think about the uh, preceding answers before I get to you. I'll start with you, Trisha. Um, jumping into this character and you're, you're playing, you know, these are real people as well. Um, and finding the humanity in who these women and men uh, were. Uh, going about this show, what have you learned about your character that surprised you that you really didn't know prior to working on this? Hmm. Well, I knew I'd, I'd seen the documentary years ago and I'd see, I saw the musical. So I knew a lot about the, the documentary portion of it and the musical, the songs and the, the, the storyline that they portray in the musical. Um, but you know what I, I, didn't really understand until I did some more research is how much she little or little Edie really wanted to pursue or thought she could pursue <coughs> a career as a actress that she had. And, and just the, her, her desire to do that and kind of it and, and, the, and being in the shadow of her mother. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot I'm learning still, so it's hard to pinpoint one thing. But that I think to to uh, also share with Eileen's process, I think the more actual footage I see of these two women, and the more I'm more research I do, the more that's how I will relate to the humanity of them, and and being a mother of a very precocious daughter as well and art just trying to bring my own personal experience of being a mother to into this role as big Edie and then portraying the daughter in the second act. That's, I feel like I have so just reading the script again and, and looking at the documentary footage, I have so much empathy for these characters because I could possibly see myself as the overbearing mother but then I also know what it feels like to be on the other side of that as a daughter. So um, I, I know that's kind of a, a lot. My brain's no, kind of all over the place. But, but I, I really <laughs> do feel that the thing that I can that I can bring into this production is the fact that I'm living that right now with a daughter that I love so much. And I only have one daughter. That's all I have. And I pour all of my love and passion into her and she's a performer as well and mm. you know so it's just i can i i really do relate to these women Thank and you. and the beauty between the, the love that they have for each other so i th i just think it's going to be really fun to to explore more and learn more about them and mm -hmm. so yeah. 
That's one. <laughs> uh, Michael, everyone had to leave because oh. he had another event. We knew that he was going to have to sneak out. So oh. thank you, Michael, if you see this later uh, for doing this. And uh, unfortunately, and I'm going to have to leave too in a minute because I I teach private students. Well, before you go, before yes. you go, because what I normally do with the shows is I let everyone have a final word. So I'm going to give you your final word before you go. It could be that <laughs> we spoke about tonight. Anything we didn't speak about or just any message that you want to leave with everyone based on our discussion tonight? Uh, well, I, I, I guess just reiterating how wonderful and thankful I am to be a part of this group finally, this um, Musical Theater Guild family, which I lived in New York for almost 20 years. And when I moved back to Southern California, I felt like a piece of my heart was still in New York and I just thought I'd never find my community, but just being a part of a group of, of, of people that really love theater as much as I do is, is just wonderful that I find that I'm like, I'm finding my people on the West coast. And you know, everyone's so spread out here, but I really feel like we're all, um, oh. uh, if we can, connect in with the with the musical theater guild it's like it doesn't make it so like la is so spread out you know new york it's so tiny but here i just feel like I, i'm just so thankful to be a part of the community so i'm honored that you'll have me and i'm honored to get to work on this beautiful piece and, and congratulations and much success to you thank you. you and i'm gonna say goodbye but i will see you all very soon and yes. Yes. thank you so much richard for having us on your show it's there yeah. thank you, you thank you for, for setting it up. up thank you thank you, thank you so much thank you. Uh, oh sorry <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh paul uh, same question yeah well i mean really i i will, will echo what trisha was saying i think you know i i have the burden and the advantage in some ways of having the, the more fictional portion of the musical in act one, you know, I mean, the things that we haven't seen in the documentary necessarily. And so with that, I feel very excited to kind of take it in my own direction. The things, I, well, with guidance, obviously, but I'm very excited to see sort of what can come. Um, I think that something that surprised me about Edie, as I've been looking more and more into her, like Trisha said, is just how much of a drive she really had and like zest for life. Yes. I mean, it sounds like she, in her youth, given the script that I've been reading, like how much deeply she cared and wanted to be out there and celebrated and appreciated and be able to give to people and and I'm excited to kind of be able to lean into that and the romance and the dreaminess of, of her life. I think that's something that we didn't get to see in the documentary because we're seeing her now in a, you know, a pretty upsetting, like disheveled space. And I, I'm looking forward to being able to hopefully bring wow. as much of that joy to life as possible in Act One. Well said. Uh, Robert, same question. I've been mostly um, focused on the big picture and where he fits. And, you know, the surprise part is how um, cruel he can be to his own daughter hmm. because of his disapproval, how attached to the past, the, the, the old white man patriarchy, which is back 
So it's terribly important to bring him to light because they're, they're, they're fighting tooth and nail to hang on to that and, and it must go, you know. But he is, um, the, his, his key things for me right now is his attachment to thinking of himself as aristocracy. He is a class, he, he, you know, there's a classism. And I, you know, I saw a little bit of this with the Kennedy party and it, for them, it's not so much attachment as there's a regal quality. I mean, when I met Jackie and, and Ted that night um, did a speech and read a telegram from Peter Lawford and his family, Oh. Um, there was a there there's a there was a certain sense of aristocracy there uh, with a Republican like Major Bouvier. It's much more attached and much more rigid. So um, I'm learning a lot. And now I have to delve into his very specific uh, world and his actual background. Wow. Thank you for that. That's incredible. Well, we have gone over a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give my final uh, comments, uh, and then I'm going to give each of you a chance to have a final word. Uh, it could be about, again, I'm going to repeat this, anything we spoke about tonight, anything we didn't speak about, or just any last me message that you want to leave everyone with. Um, and I will pick uh, the next person, and then you will pick the person after that, and so on. And the last person standing, when you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk for a moment about uh, my show uh, tomorrow afternoon at 5 o'clock Eastern mm -hmm. Time. Uh, I only mention it for this reason. Uh, tomorrow is Giving Hearts Thursday. And it's giving to our favorite charities uh, and uh, thank God the work that you're all doing. I regret the fact that I am uh, in New York and I can't be there, uh, but you do wonderful work. And I want to say to everyone who's watching, you don't have to be in LA to make a contribution. They do great work and it's important if you can make a donation, uh, I will have uh, their information on the screen. And you can also, here it is, I'm gonna do it right here. Uh, and uh, you can make a contribution to this organization and keep them alive and running and doing all the work they do That's because it's important. Uh, there's nothing like live theater. And God bless the fact that you're still doing this. How many years did you say, Glenn? Uh, like between 25 and 27. COVID <laughs> makes it um, iffy. Thank so you. we'll say 27. Uh, Jerry and I were babies when you guys started. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Um, where are you on the spectrum, if you don't mind my asking, as far as ticket sales right now? I don't we know. We could sell more. They can sell more. So this is my request. Everybody who's watching who's in New York or on the East Coast, if you have a friend that's in L.A., send them to the theater. It will be a wonderful gift. Wow. And they're going to thank you for it. There's nothing like it. So as tomorrow comes along, give, give, give to any organization oh. that you can because it's important that we do so. Uh, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a That's while. Uh, I don't mean an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. 
and let that person know how they matter in your life. It's important that we do this, whether here to hear it. Uh, I also say, you know, uh, to paraphrase something that was said to me, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different mm -hmm. sized boats. Some are in canoes, mm -hmm. some are in rafts, some are uh, pushing tugboats upstream, some are on yachts, some are in sailboats. It doesn't matter what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. Uh. <laughs> and Eileen, I'm going to turn it over to you. And much success to you also this Saturday night. Oh, Thank wow. you for being there. Thanks. Thank you. It's yeah. all Yay. yours. You're so sweet. Isn't he just the sweetest? My gosh. Yes. Um, uh, so what do I want to leave you with? Um, uh, Live theater, come see live theater. You know, the stuff that we do at Musical Theater Guild, it's always kind of an event because we just do it once. And um, we certainly have many tickets to sell. Usually they kind of sell at the last minute and all the theater people show up and, and it's just wonderful. So please share this with Aww. us. Um, uh, we'd love to see you. I love you all. I love this cast. I love Kirsten. Uh, Jerry, it has been such an incredible pleasure oh. to talk to you. I mean, you're just, you're a rock star to me. So, um, so I will turn this over to Glenn. Ah, isn't that nice <laughs> of you? I, um, Hi, Glenn. Well, hi. I just have to say that I, I, I really want to thank Richard Skipper, who's such a, that is a special person, that Richard Skipper, and he is terrific. And um, for giving voice to our roving merry players, Musical Theater Guild. And I, uh, Jerry, I have to say that I am very touched that you would spend an hour with us. Um, to give your incredible insights um, to really give some depth to our production. And I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. And um, that's it. Support live theater. It's the best thing on earth. And I will give the, um, the, the baton to Miss Tal Fox or Tal Fox. Oh, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. My goodness. Ooh, we're down to four. It's like a little Brady Bunch <laughs> going away. Hollywood <laughs> Squares. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm just super grateful to have been a part of this evening. I am so inspired to delve even deeper now into everything we're doing. And I'm really grateful to um, all of you for being here. And Jerry, thank you so much for, oh. I mean, I'm going to reiterate what everyone else said, but you're your the depth that you can provide for us on the story was really really fascinating and i'm so grateful and um live theater and love send love out and tell people you love them i'm going to hand this on to our dear director kirsten chandler <laughs> thank you Jill. um yeah i i feel like a broken record but um jerry your your real experience with this and these two um, you know, fascinating women um, is a gift to listen to and to hear about. And I wish I could like sit and talk to you for five more hours. <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it's such an education. And I, I guess what I wanted to just leave with is just that I hope that we do it justice. You know, like that's oh. always, I want to 
like humble before the material and to know that, um, you know, my job is to get it right. Um, so I hope we do. And, uh, and this has been so helpful in that regard. Um, so thank you so much. And Richard, thank you for having us on here and supporting this tremendous group that I'm so honored to be part of. Um, I think that this whole thing should end with Jerry's face. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Robert. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, I thought I'd be last because, you know, my last name is starts with a Y. I was always in the back <laughs> of the class, oh. right? You too, probably. Um, I, well, first, um, Richard, thank you. Um, I've watched your show along the way, especially when you were uh, interviewing friends like Pam Myers and Claudine Jellison. And it's a, it's a privilege to be here, but also thank you for bringing us all together and especially bringing us Jerry. Oh, and Jerry. Because, uh, man, the, you rarely get the horse's mouth. And, and this man, you know, you, you bring so much. And, and also, Jerry, so much love you gave to these women. Support that I think they couldn't have survived without. So thank you for that. Um, and then the last thing I just want to say is not only support live theater, but su support all the arts. Like I have this beautiful photograph of from the ballerina project support whatever art you love best and um that's all i have to say because i don't want to go too long jerry it's all yours wrap it up take sure. her home thank you robert oh wow hello everyone i'm uh, beyond words but i'll find them i know i'm from brooklyn years ago mrs beale said to me in your lifetime our friendship would be of interest to many that was who knows how many 50 years or so. It's true. It, I didn't understand much then. I don't know if I'm understanding a lot more now, but I want to thank you and everyone, Robert and Richard, everybody. Oh boy. If I don't remember your names, of course, I'm trying to get everything in one sentence. It's not going to happen. But because of your talents, people, their lives will be seen again and heard of. All the years they lived in isolation and disparate. They were just alone with winters and summers and lack of food. You have given them life. And I know they're above us. They're guiding you and everyone to do the best. I know you will with uh, this production. I just wish I could sing and dance, but I can't. But I can pray to God that you all enjoy this show and do the. you will do the best you can. And you know what I'm also going to do? I'm going to put the link for this theater on tech. I'm not a technical person, but my boyfriend is Ted, and he will link this show and your theater to both uh, well, many fans who follow me for, for some reason or the other. Besides that, they'll have some advertisement for you. Thank you all so much. You made my life complete. Thank you. Bye.